Well, as we have kind of heard already, children are an amazing blessing, right? You look at Psalm, throughout the, the Bible, but Psalm 127 in particular calls children a reward and a blessing, and they are a tremendous blessing, and they are a tremendous responsibility, which is kind of why we're here, right? Because we kind of feel the weight, we sense that weight of the responsibility that God has given us as parents, and I'm excited to be here so that we can be together, not because, you know, I feel like I'm an expert, because I am not an expert. Um, I'm working through a lot of these things just as you are um, in the trenches of life. Last year um, and the year before, I was in this class, in your, you know, seat, and so I am not an expert, but I do have the joy and the pleasures of, of thinking through a lot of these things, and I have for many, many years, uh, both as a dad and also now as the family pastor here at Countryside. Um, Beth kind of mentioned our family, but I prepared beforehand, unlike you guys. And so I have a picture of my family up here. So there are six kids that Beth and I have. There they are. Our oldest is 18. Our youngest is eight. And so we have adult children and we have a third grader. And so there's a lot of of things going on in our house. Um, So again, I look forward to examining together what the Bible says about the joys and the challenges and the responsibilities that we have uh, as parents. And ultimately to remind ourselves that we must rely on the Lord in every aspect of our life, in particular as parents, especially parenting. So over the course of the next six weeks, I hope to interact with you guys, have some time for questions. We won't do that uh, kind of formal you know, go around, everybody say something, so feel free to come back next week. We're not doing that again. Um, uh, But the other thing I want to try to do is give you some good resources, some tools, some things that have worked for Beth and I, some things that other, you know, pastors around the campus would recommend. Uh, Just things, good resources that you can use in both your family, parenting, marriage, those types of things. Because, you know, there's countless blogs, a never-ending supply of of things that people are, are telling us, thoughts about what to do when this happens, right? Do this, this, and this, teach this curriculum, plug in this formula, and everything will work out just fine. Everything will be great with your kids. And it can be a weight and a burden. You feel you need to kind of gather all that information and implement it right, and it can be overwhelming. So it's important to come back to what does the Bible say about parenting, And today in our first session, we just want to lay a foundation, sort of an overview of what we're going to look at for the six weeks, and then we'll go back in the next five weeks and kind of fill in some of those details. But before we get started with that, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer um, and pray together and ask the Lord to bless our time. Lord, I just pray that you would guide and direct our time today. I pray that this class is fruitful, or that we learn how we can glorify you best, um, how you can use Uh, parenting to sanctify us and grow us and also use us to um, be a light uh, of the gospel to our kids. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. So it's tempting when you're teaching and, and kind of coming to a parenting class to jump right into thinking about what we need to do as parents, right? The practical kind of nitty gritty things. And you might have come to this class because there's one specific thing that your kid is doing that you just wanna fix, Right? Something that's getting under your skin that you want to, to change. What do, your, what do you do when your child says this? Or what's the appro- appropriate discipline for this particular sin? Or 
you know, when do I begin family devotions? What type of book do I use for those types of things? And we're gonna get into a lot of those questions, hopefully answer those, be practically applicable, that's the goal, but we can't start there. We shouldn't start there because we don't wanna miss the forest for the trees, which is a kind of confusing, you know, idiom or whatever, but I think it means you don't wanna get lost in the details that you missed the big picture, okay? We don't wanna get so detail-oriented in our lives about this one aspect of our lives that we forget the bigger picture, the bigger goal, because parenting is not what life is all about. It's one aspect of what life is all about. But while you're in the thick of it, sometimes it can feel like parenting is all there is. It's all that life is about, but the reality is that it's not. Your life is about bringing glory to Christ, and parenting is one aspect One way that God has given you and me to do that. One way that we can bring him glory in a very unique way. One of the main avenues, one of the very important avenues that he's given us to bring him glory. But parenting is not what life is all about. What if I told you that the point or the purpose of being a quarterback is to throw touchdown passes? That's the purpose of being a quarterback. You'd probably say, well, that's an important part of his job, You can't really be a quarterback if you can't throw the ball well. You can't be a quarterback if you aren't scoring touchdowns. But the quarterback's ultimate job is to win the game, to lead his team to victory. Okay, and in the same way, we need to remember that we can get so focused on the details of parenting that we can miss the big picture. There might be something very, a particularly difficult child or a particularly difficult trial that you're in or a busy season of life that you're in and all the hundreds of things that you do to train your children, which are very good. All of those things are good, and literally and figuratively, they're screaming at you every day that this is an important thing that you have to do. But accomplishing those things, fixing those little small individual problems with your kids is not the goal. That's not the goal. So we don't get so focused on this one aspect of our lives that we forget our ultimate purpose of goal, which is to bring God glory enjoy him forever, glorify him, faithfulness in all that we do. It's also tempting for us to think of parenting as one isolated part of our life, segmented out. I have my work, I have my marriage, I have my entertainment, my friends, and then I also have my parenting. Well, your kids, and this was mentioned a couple of times, they're watching everything that we do. So it's not that parenting is all engrossing, but it is contained in everything that we do. So it's not an isolated part of our life. Um, A couple of examples of that would be, one would be David, right? In Psalm 27, he talks about evildoers are trying to devour his flesh, okay? He's being attacked, his life is being threatened. And in Psalm 27, four, after saying that, he says, the one thing I asked from the Lord that I shall seek The one thing is that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate on his temple. David's life was very, very busy. He was the king. He was constantly running for his life. Um, He also had a lot of issues with his kids, a lot of parenting problems that you and I don't have to deal with. David had to deal with it. But he was really good at keeping the main thing the main thing, and that is to bring God glory, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to love the Lord. That was his main thing in the midst of all of that. Another example is the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 2.13, he says, 
For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The purpose is his good pleasure. He goes on to say in Philippians 3.13, The one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. All the work, all the deeds, all the things that he did in Christ were for one goal, and that was for his, God's good pleasure. So it is vitally important that we are faithful parents. Very, very important job that we have, a task that we have been given. But ultimately, the one thing for Paul, the one thing for David, the one thing that should be for us is to love God, bring him glory, and just be faithful servants of his. And parenting is one very important aspect of that. It's one very important aspect of the family. This thing that God has created that you and I are a part of is your family. And family is one way that we can do that. We can bring God glory. Family is one important piece in God's larger plan, his eternal plan. But God's plan is, is about more than just family as well. There's a much larger purpose that God has than simply families. And if we're going to build a family that would glorify God, we first need to find out what that is and build a firm foundation. So this morning, I want to look at three essential truths that will lay a firm foundation for biblical parenting. Three essential truths that will lay a firm foundation for biblical parenting. So if you seek to be godly, faithful, biblical parents, we must first understand God's design for the family in the larger context of God's eternal plan. So, to begin with, let's start at the beginning. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You know, the the Bible is not a book about parenting. It contains vital truths about parenting, but that truth about parenting and the things that it says is a part of a larger context. So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, God created all things. God is the designer of all things. He has, his plan is best. He goes on in chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, and says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that, that creeps on the earth. God created in his own image, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Part of God's good design was marriage and he would bless them and part of that blessing was the family. To have dominion over the earth, be fruitful and multiply. Reflect God, have children and rule over the earth. If we flip over to chapter two, verse 18, for the first time, something in the Bible is not good. God created and it was good. He created, it was good. He created, it was good. And now we have something that is not good for the first time and it is that man is alone. Now this portion of scripture is kind of a detailed um, focus, description of what we just read in verses 26 to 28. 
says, Then the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And then God supplied the solution there in verse 22 by creating Eve for Adam. And then you see in verse 23, The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So God's plan, you'll be married, you'll have a family with children, which are a blessing, and they will leave and create a new family. It is the perfect plan, and everyone lived happily ever after, except they didn't, because we have chapter three, where sin entered the world. And consequences of sin, according to Genesis chapter three, are guilt, their death, both spiritually and physical death, and also difficulty, struggle with creation, struggle within the marriage, conflict in relationships, particularly marriage. Also curses that affect the family because of man's sin. And yet, God does not wash his hands of, of us. We have the rest of scripture. The Bible is a story of a perfect creation that fell into sin. A story of a gracious Savior redeeming from that fallen creation a people for himself. And families and parenting fit into that and are an end to something much greater. The story of your family is part of a larger story of God redeeming people by his son for his son to his own glory. And the fact that your life is not all about parenting, and it fits into this bigger thing, does not minimize the importance of parenting and family. Rather, it gives them greater significance because they are, it's part of that purpose, something greater than just your family or just your parenting. So what principles about the family do we see in these first three chapters of Genesis? Well, let's look at that. First, we see that God is the ultimate authority over everything he is over all things and this is the ultimate foundation i don't know if we have a builder in here but there's preparation that goes into the building before you lay the foundation whatever you want to call that the foundation of the foundation right so if you have an ultimate foundation it is this that god is the ultimate authority over everything if you misunderstand that God is sovereign and he is in authority over all things, then you will misunderstand parenting. You will misunderstand your role and possibly lay too big of a burden on yourself. All things were created by him and for him. And next we see that families um, were created by God for his glory. God designed families as part of his larger eternal plan. Families were created for the glory of God. Families were not an afterthought, but a key component before the fall. The family was implemented, said you will be blessed with this family before the fall. And it gives them purpose. It gives you purpose too. He's designed them as part of something greater. They're not, families are not an afterthought, they, but they are neither, are they the focus, Right? Next, we see that marriage is the foundation of the family. You'll notice that God did not create Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Seth and all the kids that they would have for the 900 years that they would be together. He didn't create all of those at the same time. No, God created marriage and kids were not initially created. 
there was an intent and a purpose for the family that is solely tied to marriage, along with other reasons for marriage, which are companionship and completion and help and as a picture of the, the, um, the gospel. But marriage is the foundation of the family. Next we see in Genesis 1 to 3 that husbands are the head of the family. The wife, while not the leader of the family, is spiritually equal with men. Spiritually equal. Plays a vitally important role in the family. Without question. Moms, you do that. But nonetheless, the husband is the head. So men, husbands in this room, it starts with you. Husbands get to lead. You get to sacrificially love your wives and love your family. You get to die to self every day. You are the leader. And so you get the blame. You have a greater responsibility. Now certainly there are times when in God's providence a husband is not present in the family or maybe he's there but he's not fulfilling his God-given role. And in those cases, God gives grace to mothers in those situations. He's given the body of Christ um, as, as one avenue, the church, to come alongside and support those situations. But men, in this room, it starts with you and it starts with me. We also learn in the first three chapters of Genesis that children are an expected, blessed addition to the family. It says in chapter 1, verse 28, that God, said, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. God didn't say, well, sorry to tell you this, but you're going to have to have kids. It's going to have to happen, right? It's going to eat into your me time. I know it's a necessary evil. It's kind of a bummer. It's got to be done. No, he said, you will be blessed and you'll be fruitful and multiply. Children are a blessing. Now, God doesn't always choose to bless marriages with children in his perfect providence, but when he does, and that is the normal pattern of life, it is a blessing. But we also have to remember next that children are to be raised to leave and start their own families. Chapter 2, verse 24 says children are to leave and cleave. So as we're parenting our kids, we need to have a long-term kind of vision of parenting to see our kids as adults, to have them move on and have their own families. So there's probably many of you here that the idea of your four-year-old leaving the house kind of brings tears to your eyes. I can't imagine my little daughter leaving the house. Others of you who have a four-year-old are like, I can't wait. Take my child, right? You're perfectly fine with that. But the idea for a lot of us of our little baby leaving our house is devastating, right? However, God gives you the grace to deal with that when the season comes to where when your child is 18, 19, 20 years old and they're ready to move on with their life, it's not as though you're throwing a party that they're finally gone, but you're prepared and you're ready for that season of life. You see that it is good. You see that it's a part of God's normal plan that they would leave, start their own family and continue on the legacy of the gospel that you have Lord willing, imparted to them. And you're training them to do that. And so we have that kind of perspective. Next, we see in the first three chapters that sin has twisted and undermined everything that God has designed. Everything, including every aspect of your family. We see this in the temptation to sin. We see this when, when Satan came to Eve, bypassed Adam, the leader of, the, the head of that relationship, and what did Adam do in, as a response? Well, he was milk toast. He did not lead, but he followed. 
seen in the consequences of sin. Adam and Eve blame shift. First Adam blames Eve, then he blames God, the woman that you gave me. And so there's this uh, twisting, undermining of everything that God has designed. And this will affect your children as well. Right? Your children will not want to take responsibility for their sin. They'll want to start blaming somebody else. If your kid hits their hand, thumb with a hammer, he doesn't blame himself. He might say, well, if you wouldn't have bought the hammer, then I wouldn't have hit my thumb, and so it's not my fault, it's your fault, right? Something like that. Another consequence of, of sin's twisting is broken fellowship with God. So that Adam and Eve hid from God, blamed God. Sin puts up a barrier between us and God. Even those of us that are in Christ, sin can cause us to give our affections to other things even our children, even our wives, over the God who gives us life. And these curses specifically affect the family. Women, obviously I don't need to tell you, but childbirth is painful, right? The process of labor is a pain. A lot of time raising your children is a pain physically, emotionally, spiritually. Because of that sin, marriage, relationships, roles with kids, because of sin, parenting is hard. It's difficult. But... Next, we see that the gospel is the ultimate and only hope for the world, and it is the only hope for your family. In 3.15, Genesis 3.15, the promised seed was promised. A seed that would crush Satan, sin, put death to death. God sacrificed an animal, covered them with the skins of that animal, a picture of the coming sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the gospel gives us hope and motivates us to faithfulness motivates us in the midst of our daily grind of parenting. So, since family is one piece of God's larger eternal plan to redeem mankind, and since parenting is one piece of God's larger design for the family, the question is, how does parenting fit into the larger eternal plan of God? Well, let's look at that. God's design is for parents to be redeemed and transformed in Christ. God's design for your family is for you first to be saved and then use your love for Christ and your knowledge of scripture and your passion for the gospel to transform your children. God uses parenting to transform and mold your kids. He uses you to transform and mold these little image bearers, Right? And God uses parenting to transform and mold you and me as parents, like nothing else, like nothing else. Parenting, as we, somebody was saying this earlier, parenting is a sacrificial job. It is a humbling endeavor. You'll think, I did everything right, and look what happened. Like, God is in control. You are not in control. Okay? It is a humbling endeavor. But it's filled with joy. The other thing is parenting helps you see your sin clearly. One, so a couple people mentioned this. It will help you see sin clearly in your life first, but also in the lives of your children. I can't tell you how many times I have responded with impatience with my kids and thought, wow, I didn't even know that was in my heart. I had no idea that that was in my heart. And this, the heat of that moment brought that out through my, through my words. And that's a, that is a blessing because it highlights my need for Jesus. Parenting is going to highlight your need for Christ. You need to be redeemed and transformed by Jesus. And then you can put on display God's redemption. 
God's redeeming, transformative work in the lives of your families and the world. You are transformed so that you can be a light amongst them. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Parenting will stretch you, give you opportunities to respond in love and patience, give you opportunities that the world just has no category for. But because your life is transformed by the gospel, you can, by the work of the Holy Spirit, respond in a way that's different from your neighbor's and then give all the glory to God and display Jesus' redemptive work. And then we can be instruments of God's redeeming and transforming work in the lives of our children. God's design for sinful parents is to be that instrument in the Redeemer's hand. This is the specifics of how day-to-day you can practically work out what we read earlier in Philippians 2.13. It is God, it, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. We can be loving instruments in the Redeemer's hands. So our, our task is much greater than just keeping our kids alive until they're 18, and shipping them off to college, and ensuring they get from point A to point B on time, get a decent education, eat healthy, floss their teeth, No, this task is about God's eternal plan of redemption. And he has condescended and given us a vital role in that, which is the most fulfilling thing you can imagine. You will never have more influence over another human being than you have over these kids that God has given you to steward. And we can use that with the right focus to to transform the lives of our kids, be instruments in the Redeemer's hands. So the first foundational principle is that we need to understand God's design for the family. Second, we need to maintain the right focus. We need to maintain the right focus. So what do you guys think of, I have a couple um, people that want to answer. What do you guys think of when you think of a good parent? Or what do most parents focus on? Okay, a good parent is patient. Good. Love, loving parent. Good. Yes? Uh, gives the child a chance to fail. Okay, give the child a chance to fail and then help them get it back up, right? Very good. So, you know, a lot of times, and those are exactly right, we think of a good parent and the first thing that comes into our mind is perfect parent, right? Perfect parent. And we usually don't think of ourselves as perfect parents, but there's somebody else out there who is, right? And we see it in like their Christmas card <laughs> where they're all dressed in the plaid red and black. And they're all smiling and they have all their teeth, right? (laughs) And it's like the perfect snapshot. You're like, if only I was that mom and I could have done that, that's the perfect thing. You You don't see the crazy chaos that it took to get there, but in your mind, that's the perfect thing, right? Or if I wasn't just so busy with at work right now, then my kid would be better at baseball and he'd have the trophy and he and I would be able to take that picture, Right? I'll never be a good parent because I'm so fill in the blank. So it's easy to focus on the wrong things. It's easy to focus on your own inadequacies. And right now we're looking at maintaining the right focus. Right? Well, I've got news a news flash for you. That's not really a news flash. There is only one perfect parent and you're not it and I'm not it. There's only one perfect parent and that's Christ. That's God himself. But your kids don't need the perfect parent. They need a parent who is authentically demonstrating 
how the grace of God overcomes sin and failures. That's what they need. And it's through your failures that you can put on display God's grace and God's mercy. Your need for Jesus and the effectiveness of confession and the amazing thing that God's mercy and forgiveness is. So don't focus on your um, inadequacies. But if you're hung up on being the perfect parent, then you'll start to focus on the wrong things. Another thing you might focus on is the right method, right? The practical key discipline technique. If I could just implement this here and there, everything's fine. That's my method, right? Or the golden ticket of parenting book or the infant sleep schedule. So-and-so implemented this schedule and it worked out so great for them and then their kids slept through the night. Yes, Um, grace of God overcomes our sin and failures Thank you. yeah absolutely um, you know whatever it is the home school or the Christian school or you invest in the best piano teacher or you spend the extra money to get the, the, uh, the coach you know and get them in this good program whatever it is you know the blog said Disney movies are bad and so we're going to throw those out it's the right method right you're focused on that method another thing you might focus on if it's not a method or a guru or a technique it's the right results. This is the pragmatic result-based measurement. If my child's obedient, I'm a good parent. If my child's not obedient, I'm a bad parent. And so you're, you're constantly manipulating these, res, these results. You're, you're measuring based on um, your children's actions, right? Which are helpful to consider some of the times when evaluating your faithfulness and striving for, are my kids growing in obedience or not? But we can't measure our faithfulness based on those things. If we focus on that, we're focusing on the wrong things. Our own inadequacy, a certain method, extracurricular activities that we get our kids in just to keep them busy, or solely based on results. Those are the wrong focus. However, Scripture will help us maintain the right focus, and that is to target your child's heart and not simply their behavior. Child, your, uh, your child's heart, not simply their behavior. If you have something that particularly gets under your skin that your kids do, then you might attack that with the precision of a scalpel. I'm gonna just cut that little thing out and then everything's fine. Or it might be such a big deal that you'll throw a grenade at it and just blow the whole thing up, right? Because if that is what it's at, you're focused on those outward things, treating the symptoms, you're not getting to the root of the problem. But all you care about is that thing. It's like if you had a broken bone, Advil is not the answer to your problems. First, you gotta set the bone. And then the Advil is actually helpful. It'll take some of the pain away. So what is the root? If it's not behavior, what is the, what is the root? Well, Proverbs 4.23 says to watch over your heart, which is the seat of your emotions and your desires and your motivations. Watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Mark 7.21-22 says, for from within, out of the desires... Out of the heart of man proceeds the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, so on and so forth. It's out of the heart that Christ says those things flow. So some of the things you might be dealing with is your one-year-old defiantly won't eat the $7 organic baby food jar. And that, he's got to eat that, right? This costs a lot of money. He's got to eat this stuff. It's healthy for him. Or my baby cries all night when I put them to bed. Or my two-year-old keeps unbuckling their car seat 
I got to stop the car and I got to get buckled in. If he would just stop doing that. My four-year-old hits his sister. My six-year-old stole some chapstick from the store. Alarm, right? My eight-year-old lies to me about brushing his teeth. My 12-year-old won't clean her room. My 14-year-old wants to wear the wrong clothes. My 16-year-old whines about getting an Instagram account. If only I was a good parent, my child wouldn't do that. If only I was a good child, my, my, a good parent, my child would do this other thing. If only I could solve this one pr- problem, I would be a good parent. And we tend to focus on and measure success on changed behavior of our kids, and that's the wrong goal. The goal is heart change. Because if you could wave a magic wand and that thing would go away, that might not even be the best thing for your kid. Because it's through that sinful behavior and that disobedience that the God is giving you opportunities to minister the gospel to your kids. So behavior modification is not the goal. Heart change is. And as we strive to maintain the right focus, we must strive to be faith, strive for faithfulness rather than simply fruitfulness. Fruit is very good. Fruit is very good. Yes, sir. I'm so glad you asked that question. You're, that's kind of the whole purpose of the class. So, yeah, we're going to get to a lot of that in the next coming weeks. So, yeah, hold on to that. Hopefully I answer. If not, I, I'm, I mean, you and I can talk after the class, absolutely. I'm happy to do that. Um, strive for faithfulness rather than simply fruit, uh, fruitfulness. So, Ephesians chapter 6, the classic, Fathers, bring your children up in the training and admonition of the Lord or the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, that's a command. You are to train them and bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You are not commanded to produce results in your kids. That is not the command. It's not fathers have obedient children because you cannot guarantee results. You can't guarantee fruit, but you can be faithful to what you're called to be. You can be faithful to be a parent that's striving to be faithful to God. Faithfulness, not fruitfulness. The fruit, Lord willing, will be produced from the changed heart that the Lord may or may not grant your child, but you are responsible to be faithful. In my seminary classes, I just finished seminary about six months ago, went through all these classes, and after every single one, you got an evaluation thing. You had to go online, and you had to fill out this really long evaluation, but basically the question was, was the class helpful? And you had to go on, you had to tell whether it was helpful or not. But if you evaluate this class afterwards, I said, was the class helpful? And you said, well, not really, because my kids are all doing the same things they used to do. So the class wasn't helpful. Well, take a step back, right? Look at the big picture. The goal is not fruitfulness, changing that one thing or obedience, although that's helpful and it is a goal, but it's not the goal. But this is possibly a big paradigm shift for you, as it was for me when I finally, Lord, by God's grace, Beth and I like kind of figured this out, not on our own, but through ministry of other people, to begin focusing on your faithfulness, not simply your child's fruitfulness. Okay, our next focus should be to pay attention to those, pay attention to who we are, not simply what we do. Okay, who we are, not simply what we do. Another good thing that can distract us as parents is the desire for godly parenting. Okay, there's a distinction there. Godly parenting versus being godly parents. So again, focusing on what doing the right things versus being the right follower of Christ. 
So pay attention to who we are, not simply what we do. While we do need to think about doing godly things as parents, and that's what the majority of this class is going to be about, that's not where we need to focus in the the start. Rather, the focus needs to be on who we are as parents. So we're going to spend a lot of time in Deuteronomy 6, but turn over there real quick. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I want to show you this. And I want to start in verses 7 to 9. Okay, we're looking at godly parenting versus godly parents, okay? 79, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. Okay, you read that and you think, okay, Deuteronomy 6, 7 to 9, we need this, if all you did was read that, you would focus on what we do as parents. You'll focus on, toward our parenting methods. Success will likely be determined by the results in the lives of our children, and we will tend to view parenting as a segregated part of life. Okay, now that is in Scripture. It's good to do those things, okay? Those are vitally important that we do those. Um, but chapter or deuteronomy 6 5 and 6 come before 7 to 9 so back up a couple verses and it says this here O israel the lord is our god the lord is one you you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might these words which i am commanding you shall be on your heart okay so that's who you are as a godly parent and the right focus then will tend to be who we are as parents you need to love the Lord with all your heart and let that flow into what you're doing. Otherwise, it's just all about doing the right things. If you do that, your focus will will tend towards who we are as parents. Our focus will first be on our hearts and our motivation. Success will be determined by faithfulness and fulfilling our responsibility and we will tend to view parenting as related to all of life. So let the godly things that you do, the very important, vitally important, faithful things that you do flow out of who you are as a worshiper of God through Christ. And this is freeing. You gotta commit yourself to the word of God and let that flow from you. Um, Beth and I just got finished doing some premarital counseling and one of the main things that we talked about with this couple was to have a marriage that is rock solid, they need to have a rock solid anchor point. Okay, rock solid anchor point. So my life can't be all about Beth. Beth's life can't be all about me, right? Because I'm way too squishy, right? I can't hold our marriage together. I'm, I'm not able to do that. So Beth needs her life to be all about Christ, Christ-centered on a God who is all-loving, always forgiving, immovable, and then her love for me and her family will flow from that. Well, that same principle applies to parenting. So the next thing we do is we maintain the right focus is our center needs to be on Christ, not on ourselves or our children. The Bible says, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Christ is quoting what we just read in Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Center your life on Christ. Seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you, Matthew 6, 33. 
God wants you and me, he wants us to be Christ-centered parents, not child-centered parents. Parents who understand their need for Christ. People who understand that they are saved by faith in Christ, who follow and obey Christ, whose greatest treasure is Christ. Being transformed into the image of Jesus that represent Christ in our families. People who live for the glory of God and whose desire who desire those things for their children, okay? That's why it's impossible in a six-week class to cover everything that the Bible says about parenting because everything in the Bible relates to parenting because everything in the Bible relates to us being Christ-centered and Christ-like in our thinking and our actions and our affections and our behavior. So it's vitally important. You primarily need to be living a faithful, Christ-centered life. And when you live a Christ-centered life, your parenting will reflect that focus and that commitment. Just like every other area of your life as you consider the implications of following Christ as a parent. But it's, it's easy to lose that as the center. It's easy to have your child become the center of your life and your children become centered and distracted by other things even though those things are good. And one thing that can distract us is our, our kids. So I'm gonna read this. This is an excerpt from William Farley's book, gospel-powered parenting, okay? Help you understand how easy it is to lose focus on Christ and focus on other things. It says, Ken and Jackie were sincere parents and they loved their children. In fact, they loved them too much. The oldest son was a talented athlete and he excelled in the local U16 soccer team. But the team practiced during the dinner hour and the family stopped eating meals together. They'd been in the habit of praying and reading the Bible after meals and this also ended. Their daughter was an exceptionally talented ballerina and her lessons were expensive. Ken and Jackie couldn't afford them and give to the church. Well, we'll resume, resume giving to the church when she graduates, they rationalized. Soon the family was traveling to weekend soccer tournaments. Most of those were on Sunday, so church attendance became, less, or became increasingly sporadic. Slowly their social world began to revolve around other soccer parents rather than the church family. Although their son and daughter attended the church youth functions, soccer and ballet always came first. At age 16, their daughter began to audition with professional ballet troops in distant cities, and soon the family was traveling to their weekend auditions. Eventually, the children went off to college. Within a few years, they had quit attending church. They forgot about God. They threw themselves into their real interests, athletics and dancing. Ken and Jackie were deeply troubled. What went wrong what can we do to get our kids back? Well, they had made a common mistake. They centered their family around their children. It's important to love your children, but there's a fine line between healthy parental love and child worship. We know the latter has happened when we begin compromising God's will for the sake of our children and their activities. Ken and Jackie's children imitated their parents. Dad and mom taught them well. Church was not as important. God was not the center of their lives. What really mattered was their children's activities. And Ken and Jackie had um, placed their children and their success on the throne of their family. So Christ needs to be the center, not your children. Christ needs to be the center, not your wife or your husband, okay? So child-centered parenting versus Christ-centered parenting. What is the aim or the goal, okay? Christ is the aim. He is the goal. And then your parenting, your children's lives will flow from that. So Christ, child-centered parenting versus Christ-centered parenting. And here's 
basically the same thing. Parent-centered, marriage-centered versus Christ-centered. But you might say, as we've already kind of had a question, how does Christ-centered parenting handle a two-year-old who won't stay in bed? How does Christ-centered parenting relate to their teenager who won't open up and talk to me? How do we, how do we fix that? Does Christ-centered parenting let their 14-year-old have an iPhone? I mean, how do we live out our Christ-centered lives as parents? Well, the Bible gives us help and wisdom. It does, there's nothing that talks about whether to give your 14, 15, 16-year-old an iPhone in the Bible. But there is direction and, and wisdom that the, Bible, that the Bible teaches that helps us make those practical decisions. So the Bible gives a, helps us make those decisions. But first, it starts with the foundation of understanding God's design for the family and maintaining the right focus. Okay, so thirdly, the third focus here, the third foundational truth in our biblical parenting, very quickly, because they will be storming the gates very soon, is balance critical truths in tension. Critical truths in tension, okay? So here's what I'm talking about. Truths tied to God's design and the intent of the family need to be kept in balance because Satan will love to twist things and get you to focus on one thing at the expense of the other. Okay, here's a few of things of what I'm talking about. First, the priority of the family and the broader plan of life. Right? There's tension there. Family or parenting is one of the most important priorities of your life. It is so important, but it is not all-consuming. So balancing that against God, and God is about more than simply families. Okay? Very, very important, but not the only thing, right? It's part of it, okay? Priority of the family and the broader plan of God. You have to keep those balanced. Next, God's sovereignty and our responsibility. You gotta understand that only God can change the heart of your child. Only God can call your child to faith in Christ. Divine election, according to scripture, means that God predestined everybody who will come to faith in him before the foundation of the world. And so there's no amount of dog and pony show that you and I can do when we're evangelizing on the street to get this guy to pray the prayer. We can't change his heart. We can get him to say the words, but it doesn't do any good. And that is true in our kids as well. We are to be faithful with the message, pray, and so you prioritize things like prayer. You prioritize the word of God. Those are the means that God uses to change the heart of your child. But only God can change the child's heart. Your child needs to be born again and balance that with the fact that parents are the primary means that God uses to change the child's heart. Your faithfulness is vitally important, but only God is going to change your child's heart. Okay? Another thing that we have to balance here is parenting today with an eye on tomorrow. Parenting is a long-term commitment that requires a long-term eternal perspective. You know, you can't be overwhelmed by the overwhelming day. Take a step back. Think about this in light of these 18, 19, 20 years that you have with your child. But the tension is that parenting is the briefest of opportunities, and each day needs to be seized. Seize the opportunity, but remember God's will. God's will is going to bring another opportunity. So seize that opportunity. Um, you know, people say a lot that 18 go years goes by in a flash. 
and it really, really does. And so we have to seize the opportunities while at the same time keeping our eye on, um, you know, on tomorrow. Okay, next. Parenting is about God using me to change my kids versus parenting is about God using my kids to change me. And really, it shouldn't say verses, but it's both, right? Um, in every interaction with your kids, God desires to change them. Every interaction with your kids is an opportunity that God can use to change the heart of your, of your child. And every action, interaction with your kids is God desires to change you, to form you closer to the image of Christ. And so those are both happening at the exact same time. So embrace how God is growing and changing you first and foremost. And the other balance here is modeling the fatherhood of God while being a child of God. We are to model our kids, for our kids, the loving, authoritative fatherhood of God and be that authoritative, loving, forgiving picture of God's fatherhood. And we are to model for our kids a humble, dependent, submissive child of God. And those are the things, as we think through balancing critical truths and intention, uh, that we need to balance, okay? Because we're here so that we can learn how to be faithful parents. And the idea this morning was to kind of lay a foundation that we can build upon, the foundations that we need to build upon as we strive to build godly homes. So let me encourage you, as we finish up, to look through some of those discussion questions Talk through some of those with your, with your spouse on the ride home or when you get home or whatever. Um, I'm gonna pray for us and then we can be dismissed, okay? Lord, I just pray that you would help us to keep an eye on what's truly important. Lord, as we've, we've tried to lay the foundation of the fact that you are sovereign, you're in control of all things, Lord, that we need to have the right focus. We need to focus on our faithfulness, first and foremost. Um, focus on the heart of our kids, not simply their behavior. What I pray is if we, that, that these next few weeks as we, we flesh out some of these truths that uh, that would become more and more evident to us. Lord, I pray for each and every one of these parents, Lord. So thankful that they are here, that they have a desire to glorify you through their parenting, to learn how they can be more effective um, parents. I pray that you would bless them and their children and their families. In Jesus' name, amen.